Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer and episode 38 of the Speaking Club podcast. They say to be a great salesperson, you shouldn't try to make the horse drink. You should try to make it thirsty. So next time you're in a sales meeting, simply mix one teaspoon of salt with some apple sauce and squirt it onto the back of your prospect's tongue. With thanks to Horse and Rider for that sales tip. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So... If you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Welcome to the show. So without sales, you can't survive in business, whether you're a speaker, a pop star, an entrepreneur or a corporate giant. So this month on the show, we're focusing on getting you more bookings and business or sales if you are an entrepreneur with a product or service that you sell through speaking. Today, I am joined by Julie Holmes, who is an international speaker on sales. She's an expert in her field, and because she majored in public speaking in college, she's able to share her knowledge in a powerful and engaging way. In this show, we're unpicking why selling is such a challenge for most of us and how we can get comfortable with it the different challenges of corporate versus selling as an entrepreneur and how this should affect your approach and also why you should treat your customers like balloons and so much more. I got loads of value from this interview and I'm sure you will too. Over to Julie. From the worst salesperson ever to the ambassador of selling, welcome to the speaking club, professional speaker and entrepreneur, Julie Holmes. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. You're welcome. It's great to have you on. I'm really looking forward to picking your brains on lots of things. So um, first of all, how did you find your way into sales? Because it's not your background's not always been sales, has it? No, no, I've had a varied background. Um, in fact, it's actually a fun game that I play with uh, with friends over drinks is where we guess the careers or guess the jobs <laughs> that Julie has had. Um, uh, you know, I've done everything from, uh, I had a bus driving license. I used to compare a comedy club. I used to teach university. Uh, of course I waited tables for, you know, a really long time. <laughs> so yeah, it's been quite varied. Um, sales actually started for me officially, um, when I moved into corporate. So I was in corporate America for some 25 years and in corporate America, I was in enterprise software. And so I'd started off as a consultant and as a trainer, and then I moved into, um, you know, kind of going out and supporting customers and, you know, doing product management. And then it just kind of gradually happened over time that I was working for a fairly small company. There was about 40 employees when I started and, and we needed a salesperson and we'd interviewed a bunch of people and I wasn't happy with any of them, which often, you know, like, I don't like them. I don't think they're going to do a good job. And then, um, so, you know, they were like, well, why don't you take the job? And I was like, fine, I will. And so I did. And so that was how I got my first job as a quota carrying sales rep at a software company was I just didn't want anybody else to do it. So I did it. 
And how did you feel about sales at that point yourself? Were you a fan of it or was it, was it, was it outside of your comfort zone at that point? Definitely outside of my comfort zone. Um, it was really more of a gauntlet that was thrown down of, you know, fine, why don't you do sales? And I was like, yeah, I will. And then I was like, what was I saying? What was I thinking? <laughs> um, but what ended up happening was I had a really great um, CEO at the time. And I said we were quite small. So we were all in just one little office. And, and I said, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm going to over coffee one day. I was like, look, I'm going to be honest. I'm not sure if I'm cut out to be a salesperson. And he goes, well, in reality, you've already been doing sales. The only thing that's different is you're not asking them to sign the contract. You're doing everything else already. You know, you're telling it, you know, you're learning about their problem. You're connecting what we do to solve their problem. You're showing them the return on investment. You're doing all the work. You just aren't asking them to sign the contract. It's the littlest thing that you're not doing, the least important thing that you're not doing. And so he kind of, um, he kind of got into this little training program. We created this little mock training program for me, which basically, this is hysterical. So the way that I got better at asking for the deal was every day I had to ask him to buy lunch in a different way. (laughs) So we used to, because we were a small group, we used to go out to lunch every day. And, um, and so, you know, one day it would be like, yes, this guy's going to get the bill. And that would be like, that would be assumptive close. (laughs) The next one would be like, um, I'll tell you what, I'm going to get today's lunch, but you're going to get tomorrow's lunch. And so I would pre-plan a close. So it was just this weird kind of game that we started to play where every time we would go out to lunch, I would have to think about and get more comfortable with asking for the deal until I kind of ran out of ways to ask for it. It's really interesting. Did that help? I mean, with actually with the clients? Yeah, yeah, it did help. It helped a lot because what it did was it, it demonstrated to me, and I think this is part of what people miss a lot about sales, is that we are selling all the time. Everybody is selling all the time. And it was only that we create this division where we say sales is this thing, you know, where you, you know, are a, a slimy salesperson and you're trying to get one over on someone when really all sales is, is trying to come up with a mutually beneficial solution where we get something and you get something. And that was kind of great, you know, I mean, to kind of realize that this is an everyday occurrence and an everyday thing that happens and that it's not some great, unusual, odd skill that you have to have, you know, decades of training to be able to do. And I have gone through professional training and I've got certifications and of course I've gone and gotten all that um, expertise, but the experience really mattered. It's such a big issue for people, isn't it? It's almost like mm-hmm. you, you put the foundations of the house down, the, the walls and the windows and the doors and, and asking for the sale, like getting that final piece of putting the roof on. I, that's just a, something, I don't know yeah. what popped into my head, but, but it's so hard. Why do you think people struggle so much with that? I think the biggest reason is, is honestly that they are worried that somebody will say no. I mean, that's it, right? I mean, it all comes down to a bit of confidence, but uh, also a bit of insecurity about what they have to offer. And I think the easiest answer for it, I think we, you know, this might be jumping ahead of other questions you're going to ask, but when it comes to selling, the best way to sell is to have them already sold before you ask for the close. You know, have them basically saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. But how do I get started? I want what you have. Everything you've just told me about, I want, 
I, you know, let's, let's make that happen. And at that point, you've actually done all the right things. That's why my CEO at the time was so clear, this asking for the sale, that's the smallest piece. You've done all the legwork up to then. And really, if you've done it right, the client is asking you to close rather than you asking the client. Cool. Okay. That, I want to get into that. So how, because there's a, there's a journey, isn't there? It's clearly a journey that that customer acquisition yes. journey. Um, and, and it starts, I guess, by determining your ideal prospect, which is something that you talk about. Uh, and there, there might be pieces before, and if there are, correct me. But this is also something that so many people struggle with, you know, defining that, you know, lots of people call it an avatar or a persona <laughs> or, you know, target customer, however you phrase it, people really struggle with getting that clear. C can you shed some light on how people should do this? Yes, I can. Um, I've spent a lot of time um, thinking, not only in corporate America, you know, coming up with avatars and, and having a variety of avatars, but also, you know, as a professional speaker myself and as someone who is, has runs, runs their own businesses, I think first and foremost is understanding who values what you have and how much do they value it. So um, I don't know if you've, you've probably heard of Damon, David Newman. And I think one of the things that David Newman says from a marketing perspective is it makes most sense if you can figure out who gets what you do and then who needs what you do and then who actually wants what you do. Because if you can find somebody that has those three things, then that's an easy sell. Oh. So first they have to understand the value that you offer. And of course, if you're just talking about like, oh, yeah, you know, we we make, you know, widgets that do X, Y, and Z. And they go, I don't even know what a widget is. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. So first you have to have somebody who actually even gets what you're talking about. And, and some of that could be an education phase, but they have to get it. Yeah. And then the second component is they have to actually need it. They have to look in their life and go, yeah, do you know what? That would make my life easier. That would make my life better. I would be able to sell more, do more, save more money. I would be able to keep my staff longer. I would be able to get rid of terrible customers. Whatever it is that they feel pain and angst about, there's that need. And then the final piece is they have to want it. You know, so, you know, like, like eating broccoli, you know, like we realize it's good for us, but not everybody wants to sit down and eat a big old plate of broccoli. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's harder. It's a harder sell if we don't want it. So that's where we use our enthusiasm and we get our clients excited about what we do. So when we can find a prospect that meets those three things, that's really critical. And then the most important one is they have to have the means to pay for it. Absolutely. You know, that's, you know, we can, we can love what we do and we can love what we have to sell. But if we are trying to sell to people that aren't in a position to buy, what a waste. Yeah. What a waste of their energy and our energy as well, because that's frustrating for them. Or we're always going to feel like we're at odds. Yeah. So yeah. to sit down and create that avatar is to find out who wants it, who gets it, who needs it, and who can pay for it. I love that. I think that's a big piece of the puzzle that, um, I mean, we'll get onto speakers and sales in a bit, but that that's a, that's a vital piece of the puzzle that people do often forget in their haste to sort of, and desperation to sell. That's probably something people yeah. admit all the time. Yeah. Cool. Okay. And yeah. has sales and the approach to selling changed 
with the technology advancements that we've seen with the digital space, with online, with social media, um, and and how do you you know how would you advise us to to operate in that, or, or hasn't it changed? Do the same things still stand? Well, actually, I think it's changed a lot. So it's both changed and not changed. I know that seems kind of tricky, but what it is is that the big pieces of selling, or the the biggest portion of selling, is kind of this. Um, sharing of information, the explanation of what we do and the value that we add. And so years ago, when there wasn't so many online resources and content marketing wasn't a thing and social media wasn't as big of a thing, the result was that we had to do that in sales. We had a huge education job as part of our sales role. Now, Clients come in and they pretty much are just looking to validate a decision they've already made by the time they reach out to you. So instead of us having this opportunity to coax them along the journey, they're doing the journey all electronically and they're coming to a certain point in the journey where they go, do you know what? I'm down to one or two choices and really it's yours to lose or yours to win based on you know, how you handle these questions or objections or pricing or some something that's at the end of the funnel rather than stuff that's at the beginning of the funnel. So the challenge from a sales perspective because of that change is that we've got to put so much more out there. We've got to put more on our websites. We've got to understand our buyers better so that we know the questions they're they're asking so we can put those answers out there for them because if they don't find them, they'll just keep looking. They won't call us up and go, hey, I didn't see on your website exactly what it is you do. Could you tell me? They're not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, so, so we've got to be prepared for that. Just, just want to just to rewind slightly. Um, you mentioned content marketing. I'm sure a lot of people listening mm. already know what that is, but just for first for those that don't, um, I, I mean, I'll have a go, and then you can correct me if I'm wrong. But basically, it is putting that that sort of free content out there to draw people in, whether it is cheat sheets, blueprints, templates, books or FAQs or resource guides, that sort of thing. That's, that's what you mean, yep. isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Blogs, everything that you put out, um, whether it's, and not just on your website, but everything that you put out in the social realm, right? In the digital realm. So that's everything you might post on LinkedIn or on Twitter or on Facebook or on Instagram or on your website. All of that content that you're putting out there is reinforcing your brand, explaining your value proposition, um, it's often reinforcing pain points or challenge points that your customers or buyers might be feeling. It's illustrating return on investment. It's all out there for them to, to thumb through and gather and assess and evaluate and they make decisions. But it's not just your stuff that's out there. Everybody else's stuff is out there too. So in some ways, it's a lot harder for the buyer because they have to work harder. They're working harder to find their solution. They're much more in control of their own buying journey than, than it used to be in the past. And there's so much noise. I did read a, a case study once of this pool company. You might have come across it where they, they, they were selling it in a sort of old-fashioned way. Then one day they sort of, the owner decided to put up the website and go into detail on the different types of pools that you could have and the pros and cons and, and, other, and other sellers as well. And that increased their revenue so much because they were doing that thing of, you know, guiding the buyer to the answer. And, and whether that answer was with them or someone else, mm -hmm. that actually increased their sales. So that's a massive piece of the puzzle. Must have been America's. We don't need pools in the UK, unfortunately. 
<laughs> but yeah, that's, that's the type of thing you're talking about. Absolutely. And I think it's, you're, you made a really good point just then, which is that a lot of this content marketing and the things that we do on our website isn't just to help the right buyers find us. It's actually to help us weed out the wrong buyers. You know, we talk about, you know, as professional speakers, for example, or as a you know, convention speaker. I mean, I'm, I'm a lot on stage. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm a lot of person on stage. <laughs> like I'm kind of loud and I'm out there and I'm energetic and that's not for everybody. You know, so it's, my website is just as much an exercise of me saying, look, this is what I'm like. And if that's not for you, that's okay. You know, but don't, you know, I don't want you to go down your buyer's journey, contact me and then, and then realize, oh, I didn't, you know, that isn't what I thought we were going to get. So it's about putting yourself out there clearly so that the right people can find you. And so that the people who are not the right people for you can keep looking someplace else. That's a, that's a really good point and a nice segue into, into what I want to ask you next, which is um, you've worked in sales and you speak to corporate, uh, sorry, you've worked in corporates and on sales and you, you speak to them. Obviously, you work yourself as a professional speaker and you have to sell yourself. And there's also another arm to, to Julie Holmes now, which is, is, is you have a product to sell. Um, so do you think there are different things that you should be doing, whether you're in corporate sales or you're a speaker or an entrepreneur or a small business owner, I guess, versus what corporates do? Are they, you know, is it a different way or should, should, is there one way you just need to tweak it? I think that fundamentally we all do the same things when it comes to marketing and selling, but what's massively different are the resources at our disposal. Okay. So we, you know, in corporate, of course, you know, I had a marketing department, I had a copywriter, I had a graphic designer, I had salespeople, I had, I mean, I had a whole host of resources at my disposal. Um, and then, of course, as an entrepreneur, or even as a professional speaker, I have me. And I have, you know, some, some freelancers that, you know, work with me, you know, that are part of my team. I have regular people that I work with. Um, and so that's probably one of the biggest differences is just in the quantity of resources that we have available to us. So the biggest difference is that as a smaller business, whether we're a solopreneur or whether we are a small business ourselves, it's focus. You know, we can't be all things to all people and it becomes even more critical that we know exactly who we're trying to reach because we can't be wasting time with conversations that aren't going to be a good fit. So, you know, we've got to be super clear about where we invest our time and our effort, what we're creating and whether or not that's working for us, and then really focusing our efforts to get the most return on that that we possibly can. That, I mean, that comes down, those are brilliant points. And I think that comes down to that, the riches are in the niches type of thing that you hear quite a lot. But it's just, it's so fundamental. Just this morning, I was talking to someone who's been in business 12 months, but has taken that 12 months to really hone in. On, and But they've wasted resources and time and effort, you know, so getting that piece clear up front. And, and you can always pivot, can't you? You can get it right. Yes, absolutely. You can pivot, but you've got to make a choice, haven't you? I think. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, if you think about like even just producing content, you know, as, a, as one person, I can't produce 50 different kinds of content every single day. You know, so if I'm trying to write content for 10 different industries or if I'm trying to write content about 20 different things, I mean, I do speak on sales and that's my area of focus, but I have a background in marketing. 
Um, I have a background in professional services. I have a back, I have a master's degree in communication. I mean, I have all kinds of things in my kit bag. And if I tried to talk about all of those every single day, who would come and work with me? Like who would even find me? Because at that point, I'm not demonstrating any expertise in any one area. And my messaging is so all over the place. I wouldn't know as a buyer, I wouldn't know what to contact me for. So you're absolutely right. You know, we've got a limited amount of time at our disposal. Better that we keep putting pennies in the same exact jar than putting two pennies in this jar, one penny in that jar, five pennies over here. We're never going to, to get the jar full if we just keep distributing our wealth. I love that analogy. That's a really good visual for people. So yes, and put a label on the jar and then keep sticking pennies in that exactly, jar. Exactly. <laughs> so have you, I mean, this, this is the speaking club and I guess I'm, I'm focused on anyone who uses speaking to grow the business or brand or career. So for speakers then, have you got some tips on how to get more sales, particularly for speakers, first of all? Yes. Yes, I do. I do. Actually, it's been, it's been great fun because I've actually been doing um, a bit of a tour recently. Um, I'm a member of the Professional Speaking Association and I've been doing a little bit of a tour and I've been giving a talk on, on very much this topic where I've been walking people through some of the things that I do in my sales process. And first and foremost, of course, is that you have to know your prospect better than anyone. Now, of course, I mean, understanding your niche, right? So who are you who are you trying to reach? What is their pain? What does their experience look like? Are you speaking their language? So that's one part is just knowing overall your prospect better than anyone, but then knowing your specific prospect. So for example, when I do any kind of proposals to a client or when I'm um, discussing with a client about coming out to do anything like a sales day with them, or I'm going to come out and do a keynote at an event that they've got, then my first objective is in my mind, I'm thinking, I need to be able to fill a page of paper with things about this client. Why are they bringing me in? What is it that they're looking for? What are they hoping to achieve? What have they done in the past? What worked? What didn't work? What did they like? What did they struggle with? The list just goes on and on. And if I don't have enough to fill basically a page, I haven't asked enough questions. So they need to feel completely comfortable that I know what they want, need, and aspire to so that they know that I can deliver that. And I reiterate all of that information in my proposals to them. So I always say, well, let me tell you about you. This is what we talked about. Here's all about you. And then they walk away and go, gosh, she really knows us. I'm like, yes, I do, because I asked a lot of questions. So that's one. Yeah. And the second one is to present yourself and your business at the level that you want to earn. So this is a little bit about appearances, but it's really about how you present your entire brand. And that's everything from your website to yourself, to your marketing materials. I, I was just on the phone with somebody and I was like, oh, look, my new stuff I had printed came in. And, and this, it's everything, right? I have all of my documents that are client-facing professionally printed. I have a great inkjet at home but I sell to CEOs and to VPs of sales. They are not going to be impressed by my inkjet. <laughs> so, you know, I have, you know, if I'm doing, you know, a workshop, I'm, I'm working next week with a group of 80 salespeople at a corporate event and all of, you know, I'm having all my stuff professionally printed and coming back because that's part of my brand. And if I want to be worth a lot of money, I need to look like I'm worth a lot of money. So that's the second thing. And then finally know the value of what you provide. 
So if you can't, well, you shouldn't say you can't, everyone can. Make an exercise to sit down and go, here's what I do. If a client was to do exactly what I told them to do, exactly what I recommend, what would the result be for them? And not only what would the result be, but what would the value of that result be for them? So for example, um, I saw somebody speak recently, um, Henry Rose Leash, excellent speaker. Um, I had her come in and talk to a group of executives that I mentor. And you know, she was talking about one of the things that she does is she works with organizations around generations, for example, and how they um, keep generations motivated and inspired and, and working effectively in the company. And she said her goal with the client is to get them to increase their employee retention by one year because they had huge turnover of their young staff, right? They would come in, they would work two years and they would leave. Yeah. There's significant value to that organization and she can put a number on that value if she says that goes from two years to three years when you do what I tell you to do. So how much money is that saving the client? From a sales perspective, I do the same thing. I'll say, okay, so I'm going to come in and work with your staff for a day. If you sell five more widgets, whatever they are, that more than covers my fee. So guess what? We're going to sell way more than five more widgets after this. Yeah. So, you know, this is how we start to give ourselves the confidence in our own pricing and the client some perspective in our pricing. Brilliant stuff. So having that congruence all the way through that uh, brilliant, that's really good. And what about entrepreneurs and business owners who want to grow their business? Have you got any different tips or I, I would imagine there's a lot of crossover, but anything else? I think exactly the same thing. Um, all those same things are true. I would add that as an entrepreneur, if you're looking to grow your business, one of the best things that we've ever done as entrepreneurs or I've ever done as an entrepreneur is to leverage our network. Um, you know, we network now is nothing like it was 25 years ago. You know, there was no LinkedIn then. I still shake my head and think of all the amazing contacts I've lost touch with because this great technology didn't exist then. But now it's all out there. I've got thousands of people I'm connected with on LinkedIn. And the funny thing about our network is people go, well, I don't want to abuse the people in my network. When the truth is, is that most people want to be part of a story. They want to be part of your entrepreneurial journey. They love to think and to know that they've had a hand in your success. That's really rewarding for people. And sometimes we don't let them take advantage of that. You know, we just keep it, keep it to ourselves and we just, oh, we'll just grind away with strangers when really we've got a massive network of people that want to support us. A great example, and I know we're going to talk a bit later about Hey Mike. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a little teaser there, Hey Mike coming up. <laughs> um, but, you know, Hey Mike was recently featured in American Airlines Magazine. Wow. And it was featured in American Airlines Magazine because of our network. So, you know, we contacted somebody, we found the right person to talk to. They probably wouldn't have found us if we hadn't worked through our network, but we did. And now we're in an American Airlines magazine. I mean, that's amazing. Fantastic. Wow. And when did you go into American Airlines magazine? Was it recent? Yeah, yeah, it was. It just came out actually, uh, like within the last month. Brilliant. So it'd be interesting to see what impact that has as, as well. Wow. That's fantastic. And you talk about, in, in your talks, you sometimes talk about the whole organization setting. Could you tell me about that and, and what you mean by that? Sure. So for corporates especially, 
well, in fact, you touched on it at the very beginning when you said, well, how did you feel about going into sales when you went into sales? Well, in, in reality, when we look at these big organizations or they don't even have to be that big, honestly, <laughs> we've got a 10 person organization. Everybody will sit there and go, that's sales over there. <laughs> Th those, that over there, that's those salespeople, you know, and they're kind of like, you know, we try to put up a little wall and we try to keep them there. But the truth is, is that with content marketing, with the buyer's journey being so different now, everybody is in sales all the time. Absolutely. You know, the content that we're producing is being produced by people throughout the company. Support is on the phone with a customer. And when we start to look at how businesses change, particularly in the tech space and in the luxury brand space, which is where I specialize, um, you know, when I look at things like um, subscription models for software and, you know, our desire to keep customers long-term and that lifetime value of customers, they're not talking to sales all the time. They're talking to lots of people in the company. Yeah. You know, they're talking to people in the accounts department. They're talking to their support team. They're talking to their account manager. They're talking to marketing. But all along that journey, we have to be watching for opportunities to go, oh, you love our product? That's great. Would you mind sharing how much you love it in a testimonial or a case study? Or they listen to a customer and the customer says, yeah, I've got this problem. And you go, you've got this problem. Well, you know, we've got a solution for that problem. You know, we've actually got a product that will do that. You don't have it now, but perhaps I should have someone contact you about that. So everybody in the company has to understand the value that the company delivers, who they deliver it for, and is able to make the connection between those two things so that the company can, can better serve their customers and the customers can better deliver value to the company. That's exactly, and I was just, I was, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say it's about serving. It's an opportunity to help someone as well as sell something from the company that you're working for. And, and I think that's, a, that's a, a switch as well on the sales front that, you know, I certainly had to make. And I think a lot of, they call them heart-centered entrepreneurs. So the people that, that are in, you know, have a business that is a, a passion, you know, that they're, they're, they're sort of on a mission to help people sometimes find that difficult um the selling piece but it is about serving and it's an invitation and it's an opportunity to help uh, rather than thinking of it as a sale i think that's is that mm -hmm. fair to say absolutely it's an it's an exchange of value mm -hmm. it is a partnership it's a big thing so you know i talk to companies about ambassador selling that's my brand and the whole philosophy is that it's about creating a partnership that has long-term value. And anytime we start to get out of balance in that value equation, then we start to, you know, if we feel like the customer has taken advantage of us, then we start to, you know, have a grudge against that customer. We don't like them as much. They, we aren't as quick to serve them or as happy to help them. They're difficult. And then the flip side, if the customer doesn't feel they're getting sufficient value, then they feel like they've been taken advantage of and they're going to continue to start looking for other people to serve their needs. So it's about finding this exact value and customers are not dumb. They know that, you know, your business is dependent on this partnership. They don't begrudge giving money or other value to you in exchange for what you give them as long as that is clear what they're getting. What the big problem is, is a lot of times we don't clearly articulate to the customer the value that they are getting. It's really interesting. You mentioned about that contract. So I have a corporate background 
uh, in HR. And um, I don't know if you've come across this, but in in business between the company and the employee, there is this thing called the psychological contract, which is about you know that balance again. And I'm just seeing that there is a perhaps a, 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 a correlation between that that psychological contract in in the employee employer relationship and in the customer business relationship that's really interesting I never thought about it in that way before that's that's really interesting yeah and I think there's the constant challenge for us to continually give value mm. what happens and this is part of the ambassador selling program as well is that what you know we sell sometimes and then we go there we're done we sold <laughs> our work here is done but what really happens is is that we have to just keep giving value all the time because if we don't keep giving value all the time, I, I often describe it that customers are like balloons. You know, they're light, they want to float, it's not hard to keep them afloat, but if you just stop touching them and you don't do anything, they are just gonna sink to the floor, and then when they do, somebody else is gonna come along and take them. So, you know, our job is to make sure that we are constantly touching and keeping in contact with our customers and serving them value all throughout the journey and that's why I'm actually a big fan of things like subscription pricing and, and this whole gig economy because it's, it's real time. We are challenged as businesses to continually provide value and customers are challenged to continually get value. It's a great, great system. Brilliant. Some fantastic stuff there. Thank you. And I guess I'm interested as well is how did you transition from doing in sales and to speaking about sales, how did that come about? Well, I think probably like most, um, I always don't say most, like many um, professional speakers, um, I, I just kind of fell out of love with corporate. Um, I just, I had a great job. I'd been doing enterprise software for a couple of decades and it was great until I just thought, you know what, things just don't move fast enough for me. I want to be able to move the needle faster. And so I knew that I wanted to kind of start my own business and begin my own entrepreneurial journey. I've always been a maker. I've always created things. And, um, but I've always had really involved corporate careers, you know, so it wasn't like, oh, I work eight to five and then call it a day. No. I always, you know, was doing kind of 60, 70 hour weeks and, you know, I was a director of a software company. So that just has a lot of obligations that come with it. And so I kind of thought, you know, I want to do something different. And like most people, I sit down and I, I look at that, the, the matrix, right? The matrix that says, you know, what do I enjoy? Um, what do I know or what am I good at? What do businesses or clients need? And then what are they willing to pay for? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and at the intersection of all of those things, you know, that's where we find our sweet spot. And I have a background in speech. I have a, I said I have a degree in, actually have a degree in public speaking, oddly. <laughs> you can get those, you know. Uh, so I have a degree in that. I have a master's in communication. I've always spoken at my corporate jobs. And I love that. You know, I love having the light bulb turn on for people that always kind of got me excited and got me excited to do it. And I just loved it. And then I thought, well, what could I tell them about? You know, what am I really excited about? Because that's a big part of our job is to share our excitement, our enthusiasm for what we do. Dare I say passion. And, um, and so that, you know, I thought, well, I'm, I'm actually quite excited by lots of things. So then that became the exercise of here's a list of things I could talk about um, and that I have big thoughts about and big ideas about. 
And then it came to, okay, well, who needs it and who's willing to pay for it? And I'll use that as my deciding criteria of where to put my focus. Brilliant. And it was sales and speaking. Fantastic. Okay. And, and I, I mean, people can't see, I can see you. Um, you, one of the things you bring to the table as a speaker is, is energy and passion and personality. And since, you know, all the time we've been speaking, you radiate, you know, you've got a smile on your face, your personality shines through. Um, is, does it come easy to you? Because I think, you know, certainly when I teach comedy, one of the things, you know, if you, people like you, you've already got a head start. Um, and in speaking, I, I believe it's the same. Have you seen a change in time in the way that you are? Or is it just something that you, you know, if you had to put effort into that, or does it come naturally? I think it's a combination of things. I have always been curious. I've always been curious. And I think that is one of the things that, that serves speakers very well. It serves thought leaders very well. I, I, spend, I could spend all day wondering around going, wow, that's so interesting. Why have they done that? Oh, that's <laughs> fascinating. Oh, I can see what he's done there. That's very clever. Like I love to, like I catch pictures of stuff all the time, take pictures all the time. And I'll be like, oh, it's sales in action. I love sales in action. Look at that clever branding there. Look at the way they've done that. Um, so there's that part of it. I think that I'm naturally very curious. Um, I think the other part of it is actually come more with age than anything. And that's just being comfortable in your own skin and being unapologetic. I, it's okay. I get it. I'm not for everyone. And it takes a long time to kind of get to be okay with that, especially because I started in corporate America in the nineties. That was, you know, I mean, we were, you know, high heels, suit, <laughs> nylons, you know, it was, you know, pearls, the whole thing. Do you know what I mean? And on, I was so excited when on Fridays we started to be able to wear like trousers, you know, like it was just, you know, that was the environment that I started in. And that did not encourage people to be out there and to be excited and to be enthusiastic. And so part of that was just kind of gradually over time, getting more comfortable in my own skin and being, do you know what? This is how I'm happiest. I am happiest when I am just, when I am verbally and physically showing how excited I am about the world. It's such an interesting place. And what a shame if we miss that. That's terrible. And then it turns out that when I do that, you know, over time, more and more people would come up and go, oh, I just, you know, it's hard not to get excited about this stuff. I've never had anybody talk about accounting software and be so excited about it. <laughs> and I'm like, but it's so cool. And they're like, apparently, you know, and just to be okay with that and never to have the words, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it to come out like that. Instead, you know, people come up and they go, I've never seen anybody be so excited about accounting software. I go, I know it's because it's so great. I could just as easily have said, oh, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean it to come across as too much. But the big rule is I just have stopped apologizing. I just can't apologize for being who I am and who makes me happy as a person. And I think that all speakers should find that spot for themselves, whatever that is, whether it's because you're high content, don't apologize for that. Whether it's because you're enthusiastic, don't apologize. Whether it's because you're funny and you're always cracking jokes on stage, don't, you know, just embrace it. it you are who you are and that brand will match up to somebody who needs it and wants it and loves it. Like brilliant you always find your tribe if you're authentic exactly yeah absolutely okay and so 
How do you, you know, with all that passion and energy, how do you ensure that you get the balance right between the inspiration, the education and the entertainment? Hmm. Practice and adjustments, I think is probably the easiest way. So I think after you've, you know, I mean, I've, I've done loads of speeches um, and I've written loads of content um, over the, you know, last couple of decades. And so part of that is, is you start to get a feel for it. So I always, you know, um, I always think about what are the big ideas? You know, what is it I want people to do at the end of this? So I always start with the end in mind. What do I want them to do? Think, feel, know, what's the goal of this? And then from that, I kind of make sure that I've got all the, all the main ingredients. Do you know what I mean? I've got all the main ingredients. What's my main dish? And then I go, right, let's put in some sides. You know, some sides will be a little joke over here or a bit of a story over here or whatever it is. But then I try to just fill in the plate with all the other pieces and parts. And that's kind of how I do it. I'm not, um, I'm not a comedian, but I am told that I, I am a bit funny on stage, mostly at my own expense, which is great. I'm totally, you know, people will laugh at all of this that happens, all of this enthusiasm. They'll be like, my God, that's a lot happening. <laughs> I know. I know. And so, um, so yeah, so that's, you know, I just accept that that is again, by embracing who I am, that's, that's where I find a lot of my humor is through my enthusiasm. It reinforces my brand. It reinforces who I am. And then I just try to lay it out that way. Um, so I just try to put in the main ingredients and then fill in the plate. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. And, and so what do you think makes a great speaker? Well, I think the best speakers that I've ever seen do a couple of things very specifically. The first thing they do is that they make us think. They make us see the world in a new and different way. Um, not that we could never have seen the world that way on our own, but their job is to basically point us. It's like they're taking hold of our shoulders and they're turning us and going, hey, have you ever looked at it from that direction? And you go, oh, I never have. Wow, who would have thought? Look what's over in that direction. And then the second thing that they do is they make us see the possibility of that. You know, look how cool that is. Here's what that would mean for you. So they connect it to us and make us see possibilities for ourselves. Either, you know, look how this could affect, you know, your family. Look how this could affect your career. Look how this could affect the way you feel about yourself. And that's super powerful. And then the third thing that they do is that they, they engage us. They engage us through story, through their enthusiasm, through their their information that they share, but they connect with us and help us come into their world and into their view of the world for that slice of time that we're together. And hopefully they leave enough behind for us to carry it on. So they engage us. Love it. I love that. That's great. That is great. Now you've just, you shared some fantastic stuff, but you've also got a fantastic product. Now uh, I got, this um I, i'll just give my, my my perspective on it and then i want to find out how it came about but this so i is this tiny really teeny tiny microphone that is bluetooth enabled that basically enables you to do videos um and have your have the mic on you and your camera your iphone or camera like yards and yards away 
um, and and it and it works. So how did it's called Hey Mike? How did it all come about? Well, I did say earlier, um, yeah, Hey Mike is an interesting project. Um, I said earlier that I'm a bit of a maker. Um, I make things. I, you know, again, I'm fascinated by the world, and but then I'm also not very. Uh, entrepreneurs, as a rule, are not very happy with the world. Like they're happy with the world, but they're never satisfied. Is maybe a better word. So, you know, I would say um, I was in corporate America, and I was constantly repeating myself to the sales team. Or I was when I was in sales, I was constantly trying to repeat things back to marketing. And I was doing lots of presentations. And I just got really tired of repeating myself. And I thought, well, what I need to do is record this. So I would set my phone up in the back of the room and I would record. But the audio would be terrible and I couldn't, couldn't use it. They couldn't hear it. They couldn't understand it. And I certainly couldn't reuse it for content. Because remember, this is, we're now talking about content marketing and how can I reuse everything. So I started to solve the problem and I wanted a wireless microphone that was small and inconspicuous because I didn't want to have a whole bunch of kit to carry around. I already had, you know, a ridiculously big laptop and, you know, all this other stuff. Yeah. So I started to, I, I assembled something together. I hacked together some different things from left and right and it would duct tape and super glue and a safety pin and anyway, made a prototype. So I made a prototype and I was using that prototype with an app on my phone to record videos. And then last summer, last June, I, um, was speaking at an event uh, for a friend of mine who was also a professional speaker at the time. And, and, uh, and I said, I'll, I'll record this um, for the people that aren't here. And he was like, yeah, but the audio is never good in this room. It's such a, it's a bad place. And I'm like, no, no, it's okay. Cause I've got the microphone. So we're good. And he was like, you have a what? I was like, I have a microphone. He's like, what do you mean you have a microphone? What, what is this? Th what is this thing you speak of? What is this <laughs> microphone? What is love, Captain Kirk? So I, um, so I was showing him the microphone and, and, uh, and he was fascinated. And the next thing you know, and he was a serial entrepreneur as well. And the next thing you know, a week later, we were having coffee in London and we, we said, you know what, we should take this to market. And so we shook hands, agreed to take it to market. Three months later, 90 days later, we had it manufactured. We had an e-commerce website set up. We had um, pre-orders already booked in and we started selling it 90 days later. Fantastic. And now it's in American Airlines Magazine. And now it's in American Airlines Magazine. Now it's available on Amazon, amazon.co.uk, Amazon Canada. Um, it's available through our website. I've just started testing, um, uh, you know, what's going to happen next. I've started looking at uh, version two, whatever oh, that might look like. So, you know, I've started you know, it just keeps growing a life of its own, but it's been a huge, you know, great fun adventure and it has involved a lot of speakers. And so it's been great. Yeah. And I just, I think the beauty of this is that if you wanted to try and do the same thing, you'd have to have like receivers and Lavalier mics and all sorts of stuff. So this little piece of kit just saves you the hassle and expense of a lot of equipment. So cool. And well, I'll put a link to, to the mic in the in the show notes as well well thank you for sharing all of that now before I let you go I've got some standard questions okay what is the best thing that speaking has done for you introduced me to amazing people cool give me both in the community and outside of the speaking community and um, and what about have you had a worst gig has there been one that really sticks in you I went oh my goodness that went wrong yeah, of course. I hope I've seen everybody has one of those. Yeah. And what was yeah. it? Let's, let's hear about it. Well, I think it was one of those gigs, you know, where, um, 
where they, I don't think they really knew what they were booking. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, and I talk to them. I do, you know, because I interview my clients quite extensively, we have a pretty good idea. Um, but, you know, for some, depending, again, it's quite cultural as well. You know, I am, I guess what most people would say is I'm very American. You know, I'm what, you know, if you say, oh, what's an American like? You go, oh, Julie, that's what an American's like. So, um, so in that respect, um, you know, when I'm in the UK, people almost need to be with me a, a little while longer <laughs> to kind of settle in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm, my sweet spot is on a big stage. So while I love to work with sales teams and th that's great, particularly salespeople, you know, like small corporate groups, you know, like small, like executive groups and stuff like that, you know, we have to be really specific what they want to get out of it. And so I just remember there was one, one gig, in fact, it wasn't even that long ago, so this still happens to me, where I just left that gig and thought, wow, that did not land. You know, I had somebody in the audience that was, and it was a small group, so again, it was really, you know, close, and, you know, she was quite confrontational, and, you know, like, it was like nothing I could say was right, and like, you know, she would take everything to the extreme, so you'd say, you know, we need to, we need to better understand our customers and to really focus on on what they need. And she'd be like, what about what they want? Okay. All right. Well, I, I haven't, you know, yeah, we're talking about that too, you know, but it was just like, Oh, just finding fault with everything I would say. And it was really, you know, and that really flummoxes you, you know what I mean? That kind of makes you just, Oh, you know, maybe I'm not saying it right. Maybe I'm doing the wrong thing and we second guess ourselves. And then once we second guess ourselves, then we start to kind of just, it's a downward spiral. And I just left that event thinking, man, that did not go very well. But what's interesting about that was I then had a follow-up call um, with, the, with the organizer and it was really interesting. And I, and I thought, you know, I'm going to mention it because it just feels like it's the elephant in the room. I'm like, I just feel like, you know, that one person especially just did not connect with me. And, um, and he said, oh, well, you know what? Actually, I, I probably could have prepped you for that you know, she's kind of a no-win situation, you know, either you say exactly what she believes, in which case she thinks that she knows it already, or you say something she doesn't already know or believe, in which case she disagrees with you and you're wrong. God. And I was like, oh, so even when it feels bad, I guess what I'm saying is it might not be, no. it might not be you. And this is what I just have to keep reminding myself, you know what? And you don't have to impact every single person in a room. You just have to impact some. Right. And as long as you're making a change for somebody, to me, that's a success. Absolutely. Mind you, it sounds like she needed to be kicked out. <laughs> she sounds like she was a bit of a character, not, not great for an organization. Well, blimey. Well, thank you for sharing those. That's, that's brilliant. It's nice to see you know, it's, it's hard work, even when you're as good as, as you are, there's times when, you know, you, you have to put up with some, some stuff and get through it. Cool. And the last question is this, um, there is a book, uh, called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Um, and in that book, he has a fantasy mastermind group. Now I know you, you mentioned you've got your own mastermind group, but if you could have three people, um, and they can be alive or dead or fictional or non-fictional, three people to be your mentor, who would you choose and why? Oh, um, do you know, it's interesting. I would choose people that I know because I just think that people that are dead or that I don't know probably have a lot of baggage that I just don't know about. <laughs> and I probably wouldn't want to hang out with them for very long. 
<laughs> like that. So, <laughs> so I think the people that I would choose in my, in my mastermind is, um, I would choose somebody who has a, a lot of stories to tell. And I do have people in mind. So there's someone named Nancy Vogel, who, um, I, again, I met through the speaking profession. She and I don't, don't chat very much. Um, but you know, she's just got a story for everything and I am fascinated by her, but it's inspiring as well. All the chances that she's taken and all the things that she's done. And I think that is really exciting and really brilliant. And then I would probably pick somebody who would challenge me professionally, challenge me to make a bigger business and to kind of, you know, get off my ass and make it happen. Yeah. And that's actually my business partner, Steve. So I would choose Steve Clark to be in that group. Cool. And then I would probably choose somebody who would make me laugh. You know, somebody who would bring humor and help me to see that there's a lighter side to what I do and not to take myself too seriously. Yeah. So that would have to be Celia Delaney. Ah, cool. we've had CDs, CDs come yeah. off the show before. Yeah, cool. Excellent. That's really good. It's nice to have some um, real people. We get lots of uh, big people and that's fine, but it's nice to have some real people as well. Well, Julie, thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you. I've got an immense amount of value out of the tips and things that you've shared. And I'm sure that people will have. So how can people find you if they want to um, book you as a speaker or work with you, where should they go? Well, for me, they can find me on my website, which is julieholmes.com, J-U-L-I-E-H-O-L-M-E-S.com. And for people that might be interested in Hey Mike, they can find Hey Mike at lovehaymike, L-O-V-E-H-E-Y-M-I-C, as in Mike microphone, uh, lovehaymike.com or on Amazon. Cool. Excellent. And what about, are you on Twitter or Instagram? I'm sure you must be on Instagram with those photos that you take. <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm all over the social media, all over the, all over the internet <laughs> and uh, it's the web and it's at the Julie Holmes. So my handle is the same across all platforms at the Julie Holmes. Brilliant. I'm sure people will want to come and say hi to you on those platforms. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. You're like a ray of sunshine. It's been lovely to, to meet with you and talk with you. Thanks again. The joy has been all mine, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. That was wicked. I know you couldn't see her, but I hope it came across on the audio. What a ray of sunshine Julie is. And I love the balloon analogy. I know I've been guilty of not thinking of the customer journey beyond getting the sale in the past. And I, I still need to work on this, I'm sure. But um, go and check out Hey Mike. It's a great product. And if, I hope you enjoyed it and found it useful. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to leave the show a review wherever you are listening to it. And I've been Sarah. You've been amazing. Now go and grab those nuts and start shaking your life up. If you want to discover how to create a killer pitch that makes you or your business stand out from the crowd, then you'll want to grab your copy of my book, Straight to the Top. It will help you clarify your USP, your business story, who your target market is, and what will make them buy. You'll discover how to get the edge on the competition and position your offer for success. You'll also get proven elevator and investor pitch frameworks to use for maximum impact. To get the book for free plus lots of extra bonuses, you just pay shipping and handling, go to standoutpitch.com today.